My name is Bez, and thank you, Richard, for giving me a bit of space on your stream. Back in the day, I used to do a radio show, an internet radio show called Board Games with Bez. I had the privilege of chatting to such wonderful people as Jamie from Stonemeyer Games, Vince from Lucky Duck, and of course, Paul Grogan from Gaming Rules. Now, this particular chat is with Paul, talking about why do a convention. We chatted about GridCon, which is Paul's own convention, and you can listen to why exactly Paul chose to do it. We talk a little bit about Bastion, which I love, Dragon Meets, and a couple of complaints, UK Games Expo, Tabletop Gaming Live. We talk about Paul's personal circumstances, death and tragedy, mothers, and um, wives. I mean, wife, singular, sorry. Paul is not a bigamist. Uh, we talk about overwork and we get a bit personal. We have a little bit of an intro to Paul. We talk about teaching games, about a craft fair, about myself trying out new jobs at drafts. We talk about the streaming that Paul was just starting to do back in those days and the butter of the week, because why not? Sometimes it's not just about games. We talked about the BG DevCon that I started. We talk about Essen and we talk about differentiating conventions from other conventions. This is basically a show about why would you start a gaming convention and trying to explore that. Without further ado, let's start the show. Boards, 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 games, 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 games. It's boards, games with Bez and Paul Grogan. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me on. And today the main topic is why make a board game convention? And obviously this is something that you've done and had your second convention not too long ago. Yes, although it was the first one, but it was the second one, but it was actually the third. It's very confusing. Yeah, I think that's always the case, <laughs> that when you make a thing, people never really see the first attempt. I mean, like, in a bind, yes, it was my first mass-produced game, but obviously I'd made many things before then. Yeah. And whilst, you know, I think you started with CGE, um, like, rules editing, um. But, like, whichever one you actually did professionally first, I'm sure you did, like, a bit of stuff that no one got to see even oh, yeah. before that. Yeah, yeah, plenty. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I, I confused people with my first convention because it's, it's just finished. GridCon 1 was not last weekend, but the weekend before at the time of recording. But then I actually ran a warm-up event in the summer, which was called Ting, which is This Is Not GridCon. Mm. But because it was on the GridCon website, people were calling that GridCon. Even though it wasn't. That was GridCon Zero. Even though it specifically said, this, this is not, not GridCon. And then I actually, in, was it March? It was either March or April. I ran a charity games day. But I did that through the GridCon brand. So people thought that was GridCon. So depending on who you speak to, there has been one, two, or three GridCons. But officially, GridCon 1 was the one that happened two weeks ago. Hmm. So, yes. And... I mean, very quickly in like 10 seconds, which we can then delve into later in 20 minutes. But was it just for a laugh? Was it, um, yeah, why did you do it? Uh, why did I do it? Because actually it's been running for 20 years at my house and it got to the point where there was more people that I wanted to invite than I had room for. 
So I decided to move it out of my house and to a, an actual event. Sounds really interesting. So it's actually something I hadn't even considered. So it's not that you decided at one point to make a convention. It just kind of evolved out of a home gaming event. Yeah, it, well, it was two things, because obviously moving out of a home gaming event to a convention was a big step, a bigger step than I thought of it would be. Um, so th there's two sides of it. Essentially, yeah, you could just say, oh, well, it just grew out of one thing and then moved to a different venue and got bigger. But that decision of doing that was actually a decision of, do I actually want to host my own convention? And probably would have been, so let's say you're in the same situation as I am and you wanted to start hosting your convention, you'd have to go through exactly the same steps as I went through. The fact that I've been running an event at my house for 20 years every November made no difference whatsoever. Um, I still had to treat everything like, you know, it was from the start. Yeah, because... I guess you need to scale things up to make it actually viable to pay for the hotel and, you know, all the space that you're using now yeah. that you can't just use your own living room and kitchen for well, free. Exactly. When it was run at my house, there were no ticketing system. There was no lanyards to print out. There was no game. Well, there was a games library. It was my games room, but there was no, there was none of that. The only people who were here are people who I knew about. You know, the, the, the one to 200 little jobs that we had to do for GridCon 1, we didn't have to do when it was held at my house. So yeah, it's a, it was a very different thing. For sure. And obviously there's a lot of different reasons that people might start a convention. I mean, I think that Mark Cook did it, Aircon, for a very similar point of view. Yep. Basically saying, hey, I want to play games with mates. And then had it at their house, and then had it at the church, and then had it at... Harrogate's convention centre. Yep, moved which... from 20 people to like a few thousand. Whereas mine's gone from 20 people to 200. Mark's, but, Mark's now got the second biggest like, convention in the UK, I think. Obviously, your priorities are going to determine what kind of events you want to do. Yes, absolutely. Because um, Bastion, which is one of my favourite conventions, but it might not be anyone else's, because for me, this is the only convention I've been to where I've not been volunteering, I've not been trading... I've not been demoing stuff. I mean, I might, you know, show a couple of my games mm -hmm. and actually the, I've been there twice. And both times it's just a bunch of people who rent out a youth hostel for an entire long weekend and play games with each other. So you literally get up in the morning, you go into a big, massive kitchen with everyone there together. And this is, yes, about playing games together, but it's also about friends becoming bigger friends if you know what yeah, I mean I know exactly and about what I mean fostering that so it's yeah a little bit more than and so when I'm at a convention like that because it's not just about playing the heaviest games yes I played Eclipse and yeah I've not played many games that last at that convention that last many many hours yeah but um part of it is yeah wanting the social experience yeah and yeah having if I play a game that's going to last um, five hours, whilst I've got nothing against 18xx, I would probably be rather like... I'd probably tend towards a murder mystery right. in that setting than... Um, or Eclipse even, which is at least has some negotiation in it. Right. But anyway, and Tabletop Gaming Live, they do it clearly as a profit-making thing. Yep. And... Um, Modifius arguably do um, their convention, yes, to give back to the community, but I'm sure there's a little bit of self-promotion in there. Well, Dragon Meat's an interesting one, because Dragon Meat has been running for 
years. In insert the number there, just edit it in, nobody will notice. But it's like, it's like 30, isn't it? Or something mm. like that. Now, Modiphius stepped in and took over the running of it. So it was already an existing convention. Yes. And Christopher Modiphius has run events many, you know, he, he's got experience at running events. So Modiphius took, took that on. But it's interesting that you say that Modiphius would have taken it on for potentially promotional reasons for Modiphius themselves. I don't get that impression. I, I get the impression that they're running Dragon Meat as a standalone extra thing. Now, of course, Modiphius have a big booth there, which presumably they don't pay for, um, you know, in a good prime position. So it, 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 it's a little bit like GridCon and gaming rules. I did I mean, not, I I did not it, start GridCon in order to promote gaming rules in any way, shape or form. But it certainly can't hurt it. Sure, and I guess that's kind of a, f a secondary priority. Maybe it's not the priority, but it's an extra thing. Yeah. I mean, the same way that for Tabletop Gaming Live, I'm sure that there's a lot of people who there who are like, yeah, we really enjoy doing this and we want to have fun, but it is run by the Warners Media Group and it is done with the expectations that in a couple of years' time, they are going to be making a profit or they're just going to cancel it. That is the yeah. impression I get. Yeah, and maybe they've done it so that more people subscribe to their magazine, so it's extra advertising for their magazine. I, I don't know. But you're right, different people start conventions for different reasons. And if we look at, if we look at games, UK Games Expo, right, the UK's largest, mm -hmm. biggest board game convention, and I say this being friends with... Richard and Tony, it's, it's fantastic, it's amazing, and everybody should go there. Yes. Ri Richard and Tony and, and Pat and all of the other members of the admin team, because there's a lot of them now, mm. they made no money from UK Games Expo for years. When it started off in the Clarendon Suites in Birmingham 14, 15 years ago, when I was first there, for years and years and years, it made no money. I would mm. be surprised now if it doesn't make money, but did they do it in order to make this into a money-making scheme? No, no, they Clearly did it not. because... And no. at this point, it does pay a wage yeah. for Tony and Richard and a couple of other people because it's not... It's such a behemoth. It's a full-time job. Yeah. And they need to go to um, yeah, Essen to solicit people to come along. Yeah. Because frankly, um, I mean, that's one place where Dragon Meat does fall down slightly. Um, not kind of going out and having the time and energy to solicit people. Yeah, you know I mean, I mean I, I've been fairly. I mean, I know you know Chris from Modiphius and John Dodd, and I'm, and I'm friends oh, with them and people great like people. this. But they need to put more effort into Dragon Meat. The, the fact that in in June, or no, I think it was May of this year, so May 2019, the Dragon Meat website still said buy your tickets for Dragon Meat 2019. The website hadn't been updated in five you mean months. 2018. Sorry, 2018, yeah. Yeah, it, so basically it, it hadn't been updated. January, February, March, April, five May, months out of date. Five months out of date for a professional convention website. It should have just said, Dragon Meet 2018 is over, thank you to all attendees. But it didn't. It hadn't been updated for months. And that's, that's one of those things where you think, you know, even GridCon, the website has been updated to say, thank you very much for coming. It's all over now. Let's look forward to GridCon too. And that's just a one person, and, and they can say, oh, yeah, we're busy. We don't have time to do it. We're, you know, we're all busy. But the point is, if you're going to run a convention like that, then you need to be updating the website. Certainly, if you are that kind of convention where you have exhibitors and you're at a big place in London. Anyway, that's just my little mini rant. 
<laughs> yeah, but we've introduced the topic. We'll get back to it in 10 minutes. But first, I've not really introduced who is Paul Grogan. I don't know. And who so is Paul if Grogan? you don't know Paul Grogan, I mean, I guess you're best off talking about yourself, but I will introduce you as someone who writes a bunch of rules. Well, you don't really write rules generally. No, you I don't. generally ed no, rewrite. I, I, well, <laughs> I do everything. Um, but I, yeah. generally, you rewrite. Correct. Generally, I would say the most common is probably, yeah, rewriting. I will get sent something. I will then turn that something into a rule book. That something might be one out of ten or it might be nine out of ten. It, it all depends. If, if a rule book arrives with me and it's nine out of ten, I'll, do, I'll essentially do proofreading work. But sometimes the rule book that I get sent is just, you know, random words on a piece of paper, as I like to call it. <laughs> Like designer notes. Yeah, some, sometimes it's four pages of bullet point notes that isn't actually even a rule book, um, which I then have to obviously learn how to play the game and then turn into a rule book. Yeah. And um, you've been doing this full time for ages. Um, your best known clients include, I think, Portal and CG. Mm, I wouldn't mention Portal. Um, Portal used me for a bit. The rule books that they did while they used me got good reception. Portal no longer used me uh, for rule books. They've uh, they've gone down a different direction. Um, CGE is an interesting one because without CGE, Czech Games Edition, I would not be where I am now. They helped me get started um, and I did a lot of rulebook work for them even before Gaming Rules started, mm. which is how I kind of got into it. Is I was doing this stuff on a, essentially a voluntary basis for companies which I enjoyed their games of. They weren't asking me to work for free. I had a, I had a full-time job. Uh, and I was offering to help them because I loved their games. And I did lots of rulebook work for CGE for years. And a lot of and people think that I am the editor of <laughs> most CGE rulebooks. And I, and I used to be. But starting about a year and a half to two years ago, I'm a lot less involved with the CGE rulebooks now than I was before. So as a percentage, what, how many CGE rulebooks do you say you finish off? Well, I, Is it 30% now? No, I, I still see them, but I'm not as involved as I used to be. Six or seven years ago, their latest game that they had that was coming out, they say, right, the rulebook's ready, off we go. And I'd literally spend an entire weekend or a week, every night of the week, editing it, working on it and helping out and everything else. This is when I... This is before gaming rules was a thing. Now, they came to me with the rulebook for Sanctum, for example, a couple of weeks before Essen, and it arrived at a weekend where I'd already got the entire weekend booked out for work. And I'm like, okay, well, I can dip in, I can have a quick look, but I'm actually working like, you know, 12 to 15 hours a day this weekend anyway mm. with other clients, with other work that I've got planned. And, and the way that CGE would work with the rulebooks, because they have such a big, strong team who work on their rulebooks, who are only working for CGE, yeah. that it means they can, they can say, oh, right, it's rulebook time, and they all go and do it. Whereas now they come to me and say, Paul, do you have time to help out? And I say, unfortunately not. You needed to let me know a few weeks ago. But the nature of the way that they work is not that they're... I'm not saying they're disorganised. It's just you never know when the rulebooks are going to be ready. Mm. So therefore, I can't book it into the calendar for a specific time because it might not be ready by then, and then, you know... It, it messes up so my schedule. So it's a bunch of different factors with them now having a dedicated in-house team, which they They've they had that for years. They, they've always had the dedicated in-house team. Also, you getting a lot more work yeah, and yeah. you being just too busy. Yeah, exactly. And obviously you are well known for being super overworked and it is a problem with 
you am aware we've yep. talked about this. I don't know if you want to get into this. It feels um, like you're quite public. It, it, yeah, it's not that I'm... It is a very private matter, and the reasons for it go quite deep and are very personal, and I probably should be talking to a, a psychologist about it. But I'm, I'm fairly open about it. Um, and I am trying... I've tried this year um, to cut down my workload mm. with limited success. And I've actually been trying to cut it down in November and December with a little bit more success. And next year, I'm hoping to cut it down even more. So in a nutshell, without getting too deep, is obviously I, I left a fairly well-paid full-time job. I then started gaming rules. I ended up working at least twice as many hours per week as I did before mm. for half of the money. It affected the way I looked at things because I was like, okay, so I used to bring in this amount of money into our household and this is how we worked. I've now made the decision to leave my job and suddenly we are now a lot financially, we're, we're, you know, we're not as financially, we're in a worse place financially because of a decision that I made. Mm. How do I do what I can to try and fix this situation? Oh, if I just work every single waking hour I can, that will earn more money and therefore I'll, right, it, it's a terrible idea, <laughs> but that's what my brain did. Um, yeah. and, that, and that was a hard thing to get out of because I charge an hourly rate. The more hours I'm working, the more money I'm earning. So that was one reason. The other reason... I mean, maybe it's time to move away from an hourly rate. I know no, 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 no. People. I can't. <laughs> that's, a, that's a whole other topic for another time. Um, okay, let's not go there. No, let's not go there. The other reason, unfortunately, is, is quite a sad one, is that my mother passed away um, in August of 2018, I think it was. Yeah, I'm losing kind of track of the years at the moment. Um, but when she got diagnosed with terminal cancer, which is coming up for two years ago now, the way that I reacted to that, uh, as far as my mental health goes, is I just shut down and went into work mode. So if I wasn't working myself to the bone before, I did it even more because I wasn't able, I wasn't able to cope with it. So almost everything stopped, private life, any form of something that I would do for fun just stopped. And by working all the time, I didn't have time to reflect on how upset I was and how bad I was. That's what I did. That's how I reacted to it. It's really bad. Don't ever do that. Go and talk to friends. Go and seek help and, and whatever. Don't do what I did, which was literally throw myself even more into the world. Yeah, as a form of escapism. As a form of escapism. And heck, it, it kind of worked because six, six months after that, I still hadn't been through the grieving process. And I was like, okay, well, I've kind of just got on with my life. And that's how I coped with it. Now, that, that is now over a year ago. And it's still a little bit weird when I think about it. But I, I have now, you know, moved on and I'm trying to calm things down. So, yeah, they're, they're the, the two main reasons why I work so much. It has become a running joke. Oh, yeah, Paul's the hardest working guy in the industry. But please don't ever copy it. I really appreciate you saying that because, I mean, sometimes when people say, oh, X is the hardest working person in Y industry, there's a temptation to say, oh, I want that to claim. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I and don't. And like no. sometimes <laughs> when there's a claim, it's like, oh, X is the jolliest person. I mean, okay, that's a nice thing to go for. But at the same time, you want to be true to yourself. You don't yeah. want to just put on a mask. And whilst it's nice to be known for something, I mean... I guess I'm known for wearing red. Yep. Um, you don't really want to 
change yourself too much and you certainly don't want to go down the kind of path and i appreciate you saying to everyone that this is not a thing to emulate no 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 not not a cautionary tale yeah 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 and when people have said it it makes me feel a little uncomfortable because i know the reason why i'm working that hard and as you say i don't want anybody to feel that a they have to in order to get into Mm. this industry uh, or b they they want to be like me. Don't don't be like me, really. So <laughs> don't think, do that. Um, just really quickly, I'm going to say that sometimes for myself, there is the yeah, there is always the temptation and the inclination to say, oh, I'm not with my own self-publishing stuff. I'm not selling as much as I'd like. How can I do better? Me and yeah, similar to you, spend all the time that I can. Yeah. Or um, oh. I'm not feeling like I deserve to be in this industry. Okay, I've got to spend more time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And obviously, these are really unhealthy thoughts. And yeah, it's good to kind of do what you are capable of. And I think that if I was to talk whether to myself or to someone else, it's like, okay, whatever you are able to do is frankly good enough. And there is the old adage of, I can't remember, it was an old philosopher said something about, if someone's progressing, no matter how slowly, never chastise them. But, and Oh, that's a good phrase. So I've kind of been a bit upset, like, oh, I've not kind of grown my audience as much as I'd like, which I do need to, and I found myself in a situation where, yeah, I've almost sold out of something and I need to go back to Kickstarter to do a reprint. Right. Which clearly I didn't maybe plan stuff well enough and but also I've just not got into shops and distribution is the key part of it. Yeah. But um, everyone needs to do what they're capable of and yes there's something you can do better or worse but don't feel like you have to do it I guess. Yeah. It's difficult different choices for everyone and i'm certainly not in a position to give advice (laughs) yeah and the only advice i can give is don't do what i do (laughs) so there you go so you work hard you write rules you do demos for cg when they pay you um, you well i do do demos yeah i do i do demos for many people for the last few years actually i've been demoing vital lacerda's games for eagle griffin games so i've been doing demos of of things like uh, on mars lisboa things like that, and I'm hoping to start doing demos of Kanban next year, the new version of Kanban, because I'm writing the rules for that at the moment. And that, I guess, makes perfect sense. If you're writing the rules, you know, you'll be well-placed to know all the rules. Well, and this is this is the thing. You know, you've I've... got a good um, system of drip-feeding into rules yeah. as you go along. Yeah. I mean, you know, I the latest rules video that I did, or, the, yeah, I think it's the latest one, is the On Mars video, which is a super complicated game. Um, and people have watched that video and said, um, this is other people's words, not me. Oh, the meowing, by the way, Loki's just come in. So if you, if you can hear meowing on the, on the microphone, that's Loki. He's coming Loki. for his, um, he's coming Everyone for his 12... Everyone can enjoy hearing Loki. Yeah, 12.39 cuddles, that's what it is. <laughs> so people have said to me, the On Mars video, they said, wow, you've made a super complicated game sound relatively, not relatively easy, but you know, your video was well structured, it was in the right order, you explained everything clearly, concisely, you know, and everything else. And I'm like, yeah, I was a developer on the game, I helped write the rule book, I've been doing demos of it at events for the last 12 months, I've taught it about 20 times, so I had a little bit of a heads up, you know, I, mm. <laughs> I didn't just go into that 
rule, that, that video completely raw, being given the game and being given the rule book, I'd been living and breathing that game for 12 months. So as you say, I'd had a lot of experience in teaching the game in person. Also, I had a lot of experience with writing the rule book and how to present things in the rule book that when it came to writing the video, it was just, and I'm going to use the word simple here, not as simple, but turning everything that I knew into, a, into a video. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd already, I already understood the game. I could have effectively written the script of that game without mm -hmm. looking at the rule book because it was all in my head. And as I say, from, from demoing it to people constantly, that's how you get to know how to teach it. The, yeah, which order I should teach things in. And because, I mean, I've learned so much about my games from demoing at conventions. Yeah. Because, yes, I get a lot of volunteers, and Dragon Meets was actually the first time that I had enough people that I didn't have to demo anything, really, if you know what cool. I mean. Cool. That's good. You can and just so stand back and run the booth. Yeah, I had to kind of stand back and... Uh, answer a couple of corner cases with yep. some people. Oh, sorry, I forgot. What's the um, tiebreaker in this game? Can you remind yeah. me? And then I had to remind them because yeah. it doesn't come up in, you know, if something comes up in one out of 10 games, I can forgive my demoers yes. for not remembering it. <laughs> yeah. But more to the point, when I've demoed something for hundreds of times, or frankly, even like 10 times, you learn that, okay, teaching this at this point it's a bit too early yeah or conversely hey i try to teach this thing later but actually they need all this information up front yeah exactly and right just kind of with kitty cataclysm when i reprint it i am going to redo the, all, all the rules just to have that those playful puns in there yeah because at the start i was like yeah am i just annoying people with all these puns <laughs> and then what i found is that people actually laugh at it almost without fail I would say 90% of demos I've done, I have made someone laugh, yeah. which I'm really proud of. And so obviously I'm going to try and put some of that back into the rule book. Yeah. And so you can feed that back in for a second edition. Yeah, definitely. But we've already rambled so much about writing rules and who Paul Grogan is. We have. But let's talk about the cool thing of the week. So let's talk about something cool that has happened in the past week for you? Something cool that's happened in the last week. Well, it's got to be game-related, because... It doesn't <laughs> have to be. Yeah, but no, my entire life is games. I dream about games. I wake up, I'm working on games, I'm writing rule books, I'm doing videos, and I'm playing games. I don't do anything else. It's quite sad, but playing games is pretty much my entire life. Um, I don't have any real other hobbies outside of, uh, outside of games. Um... So I can't really think of much else. It's not that, I mean, we went to a craft fair in Bradninch on Sunday. That was it. Did you say a craft fair? <laughs> it was a craft fair. Well, it was actually a Christmas fair, but it was more of a craft fair in Bradninch on Sunday. There but I wouldn't, have said, I wouldn't have said that was a cool, cool thing. Presumably getting away from work? Uh, getting away from work, it was a deliberate attempt to get out, and Bradninch is five minutes' drive away. And we've got a friend who actually uh, makes her own jewellery, and she had a stall there. If it weren't for that, we probably wouldn't have bothered going along. But we went along, it got us out of the house. Um, and in fact, we, we actually, one of the stalls there, we've, um, one thing we've done this year is we've actually got um, a gardener in to help us with the garden. Because Vicky's, Vicky's she, she doesn't get back till very late at night. And we basically worked out that whilst we're the kind of people that would love the time to maintain our garden, we just can't. And the garden's a complete mm. mess. So we actually got um, a gardener to come around for a few hours 
every few weeks just to do a few bits. Anyway, she was there. So as well as gardening, she actually has her own stall and she makes these um, little glass jewellery things, which we didn't know until we walked into this craft fair and there she was with her own like stall. blowing so. their own jewellery? No, 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 just, um, I mean, it, it, she, obviously it was a Christmas fair. So the, the decorations she had were Christmassy themed decorations. But we got we bought a couple from her. Um, that, that, was, that was quite nice to see. It was like, I, I looked at her and she looked at me and we were like, yeah, I was like, oh, hello. Because <laughs> it's, it's been a few months since she's been round with the fact that it's been raining constantly for three months in Devon. Um, not really gardening weather. That does sound really lovely. Yeah, anyway, I was going to talk about Cloudspire, but I ended up talking about the Bradninch Craft Fair instead. Well, there you so. go. Sometimes <laughs> it's nice in this podcast we like to get away from games for just a minute. Just a minute, yes. That and is what I'm going to talk about, although it's kind of cheating because it was at drafts where I <laughs> um, started working, but then I quit after a week, but I'm working until the 22nd just so that I don't leave them in the lurch, if you know what I mean. Oh, you were actually and, working there as a games guru? Um, yeah, I only started basically... At two weeks ago. Right. And I, after a week, I realised, you know what? I thought I had the time for this, but I don't. Right. So I quit, but I said that I would work until basically the end of the year, just so that are not left in the lurch. Yeah. And but, they can find somebody else. Yeah. And um, on Saturday, I was working there and I got to work behind a bar. Now, I've worked in cafes. I've worked as a waitress before. I've never worked as a bar person actually pouring drinks. Right, okay. And so just doing that was quite cool, you know, pulling the pints and, you know, like gin and tonic or vodka cranberry. And it's like new experience. And I think that there's some joy to ha be had in work the first time you have a new job, if you know what I mean. Because even if it's not the most exciting thing, it's like, yeah, actually, this is really cool. I'm getting to learn so much. Okay. And I'm getting a peek behind what goes on in this. I've never done that kind of job before. I've never worked behind a bar or or anything like that. So And so I think that was my cool thing, getting to see what it's like there. And yeah, giving me a new perspective. And you know what? If I'm being honest, I don't think any um place would be up for this, but I would be totally up for basically working a day if I had a day off from everything else, just at pretty much any random job. Right. So on a related note, con considering what I've just been saying, how do you fancy doing a day's gardening? <laughs> um, well, it's a bit far to travel. <laughs> it is a little far. It'd take you, what, three I hours mean, to get I mean, if you could um, cover my travel costs and travel time, then sure. Let's look into it. Come round. You can do a, you can do a day's gardening while I'm inside writing a rule book. Yeah, <laughs> like that's going to happen. <laughs> Normally we do do a quick, what have we been up to last week? What have we been up to last week? What have we been up to last week? Any highlights? You were talking about Cloudspire. Yeah, so I mean, one of the things that, uh, and this is touching on what I said earlier on about me taking a little bit of a step back away from the paid work in November and December. The reason for that is I'm doing multiple live streams. So as part of my Patreon campaign, plug for the Patreon campaign, I'm doing seven live streams this week, none of which are commissioned. Mm. So yeah, seven live streams, none of which have been paid for in any way, shape or form by the publisher. So it's taking a lot of my time basically to say thank you to my patron supporters and to obviously try and try and boost the campaign at the end of the year. And I guess something like Cloudspire versus um, Kanban or whatever, because you've not been intimately involved with it, you yeah, have yeah, yeah. to kind of 
really work for a day or so to gain that familiarity. Well, you say that because it's not a commissioned video. So this is the thing. My commissioned videos, if you watch one of my commissioned videos, it's hopefully spot on, perfect. I've planned it, I've prepared it, I've scripted it, you know, all of that. Cloudspire on Monday was me and Ben remembering how to play and playing through it. We made errors. Okay. Right? We were learning it. The video was me and Ben are going to learn how to play this game. We'd already played it once before, but Cloudspire is the kind of game with lots of... Um, Lots of nuances and lots of exceptions mm. to the rules. So we were doing it live. So we had people in the chat pointing out a couple of things we've done wrong. And since the video went live, uh, there's a Cloudspire player who's really good with the rules, um, Mark Buxton. And he's been through the entire four-hour video and he's commented on all the things we got wrong to help us learn so we won't make those mistakes <laughs> next time, which is brilliant. So, you know, you say I've got to do all of that prep. I, I actually didn't for that game. Um, and it sounds like that's part of you know, what you are telling people it is, kind of like a Rado runs through almost. Yeah, yeah, effectively. And, you know, the one that I'm doing this afternoon is the Lord of the Rings Journeys in the Dark playthrough. Again, it's not sponsored. So I'm so going to... it's a playthrough. It's, it's not it's a, a playthrough. how it's a, to No, play. no, no. It's just me doing a solo playthrough of the game. And whilst I will refresh myself of the rules, I might make mistakes. Mm. I'm not doing any sponsored playthroughs this week. So... The, as I said, the sponsored ones, I go to extra effort, I play the game a couple of times first, I, I come up with a scripted method of, not word for word scripted, but I work out how I'm going to do the teach and everything else. So it, it's good in a way. I mean, I like those videos. I don't like the fact that I'm making rules mistakes on the videos with the reputation that I have for rules. But when you're doing a live playthrough for a game that you don't know that well, and one of the live playthroughs we're doing on Friday, in fact, two of them that we're doing on Friday, are for games that none of us have played. We're doing Frontier Wars and we're doing Era of the Medieval Kingdom. None of us have played those games. And we're going we're gonna to all read through the rulebook beforehand, but then we're going to play them live. The publishers know this. They know that the video is being done. The other thing as well is that if my non-sponsored videos were really good and absolutely mm. spot-on perfect, why would any publisher want to pay for a sponsored one? Yeah, that's an interesting so, point. It's like, look, if you want to sponsor the video, you can that's going to cost you X amount of money. But for that, you're going to get me properly learning the rules, properly reading all of the FAQ, playing it myself, then playing it with friends off camera to learn how to play, then planning how I'm going to deliver the teach, and then you'll get a proper video. But that's going to take me, you know, a day's work to prep that. If you're not going to sponsor the video, I'm still going to do a video for you, but it's going to be fairly rough and ready and it might contain some rules mistakes. It's just, it's just how it is. Anyway, we yeah. drifted off topic. You were talking about something cool that I've done this week. And I, and I was going to talk about Cloudspire. And then we started, ended up talking about my videos. So anyway, and Cloudspire was really good. And it was four hours. Okay. And I loved it. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, have you... But yeah, let's talk about videos at the end of the show. Because potentially I might be interested in asking you, like, not for Yogi, but for something marginally more. But... Let's quickly talk about the butter of the week. So I have lure pack. Um, I didn't buy it, I don't think, but there is lure pack in my fridge. <laughs> well, and how did if it I get were to there, ever then? use butter, <laughs> I would use that lure pack. Okay. What about you, Paul? So you've got lure pack in your fridge, but you didn't buy it. Yes. Right. There are four people who live in this house. Right. Somebody bought lure pack. Yes. It's not mouldy. It's fine to use. Right. Now I'm just on the internet right now. And I'm having a look to see if Lurpak is butter. And it is. 
Yes. It's a, it's a Danish brand of butter. Because butter's one of those things where people go, you know, do you want butter on it? But actually there's margarine, which isn't butter, but some people think it's butter. And then there's that stuff which isn't butter, but you can't believe that it isn't butter. And then there's, and there's also olive oil spread. There's olive oil spread. I think what I have in my fridge, I think, is the olive oil spread. Mm. Now, we do have butter in the house because Vicky bakes a lot. So we do have actual butter, which she uses for baking. So the question is, since Vicky is the baker, I feel like Vicky should really be on this podcast for 10 seconds telling us what the butter is. If she was here, she wouldn't agree to that. Vicky's extremely shy. The reason why you've never seen or heard from her in any of my videos She's extremely shy, so even okay. if she was here, she wouldn't she wouldn't say anything. Well, I will say this. My <laughs> mum bakes. My mum used to make cakes. Like, my mum was actually genuinely um, commissioned to make wedding cakes at one oh, point. Oh, wow. Nice. And I think my mum used to buy Lurpak. Right. Because they have the salted and they have the unsalted. Yeah. And it's apparently good quality. So I think we should just go ahead. And you know what? Butter's not for everyone, but... As far as our limited knowledge goes, Lurpak is the butter of the week. There we go. Lurpak is the butter of the week. Okay. So now to the main topic, finally. <laughs> um, we're going to talk about why start a board game convention. So I started something similar, BG DevCon with Andy Angu. Yeah. Because I was wanting board game designers to get together and talk about board game design. And it was about networking. It was about improving knowledge and frankly it was because i wanted to go to such a thing and no one else had made such a thing if you know what i mean so do and it frankly if someone else said you know what i want to do this i want to run this at my office like ali cat games was starting something and then said oh we don't want to be on the tools of bez's thing but was inspired by this which is nice so they made it slightly different but if someone wanted to take it over i'd be like yeah Go for it. You right. do all the work. That's brilliant. You do it. <laughs> I would rather just go as an attendee and pay like the twelve fifty or whatever and just attend and not have to, you know, do all the work behind it, frankly. So you're still doing all of the work behind it? Um, yeah, myself and Andy. So we kind of have to work out to date at Andy's place um, that Andy can do it because if we had to book a hotel or something in London, that would just oh, be too expensive. Yeah. Um, we go off and we get to a big buffet thing from Costco and stuff. And then recently we've done the division of labor. Andy does the food and I do the kind of running the talks and the okay. scheduling. How often does it run? Once a year. Right, okay. I thought you ran it more often than that. No, it's only once a year. That's it. Wow, okay. Um, it's run, yeah, once every year for the past... I think this is the fourth one now. So I guess it must have been 15, 16, no, 16, 17, 18, 19. That would be it. Right, okay. And But that was why I did it. Now, why did you do grid? Well, just, just going back on that, it's very clever what you did there, is that you came up with the idea of, of running this event, but you're holding it at Andy's house. That's fantastic. Well, it's not their house. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Where is it? Um, so Andy has um, basically owned the Adult Learning Academy. Oh, okay. Right. And so this is a building in London, well, North London, which has, yeah, big room with a projector, a couple of smaller rooms, and it is a business place. Right. Okay. But we basically need to have it when the Adult Learning Academy is technically closed, which makes it August. Or Easter weekend, which we did once, which was terrible, 
because lots of people like to do other things that Easter weekend. Yep. And so that is why it's got to basically be in August. Right. Because it is adult at a place of work. Makes sense. Right. Anyway, back to your question. So, Gridcon, when yes. did you start that? Uh, well, we touched on this briefly earlier on, is uh, because Gridcon or pre-Gridcon was basically being run at my house. And, and obviously, I have a limit on how many people can be here. At one point, about five or six years ago, I think we had 35 people here. Wow. About 20 of them were staying over, which means the house was just... I mean, we had tents in the garden. We had people sleeping in the garage. Um, it, it, it was crazy. There's something nice about hosting an event at your house. There's something nice about waking up on a Sunday morning, going downstairs and finding the game of Twilight Imperium still going on from the night before. <laughs> Because I like hosting, I like the fact that friends can come around to my house, they don't have mm. to pay for accommodation, and they can play games for three days solid, or four games solid. However, as I've got older, my tolerance for people leaving rubbish lying around in the middle of the floor has dropped. But the one thing that did it is, of course, the more and more I've worked in the industry, the more and more people I've got to know. The more and more people I therefore want to invite to these events. And it was... Uh, sometime in 2018, where I was going through the list of everybody who I'd like to invite, because these events were twice a year, once in July around my birthday, and once four or five weeks after Essen. And I've been doing that for, well, I've been doing the, I've been doing the was post- Was that to play all the new stuff? Yeah, so the, the traditional one which started in, uh, in the year 2000 was Paul's post-Essen Games Weekend. So I've been running that for 20 years. And it's always been a month after Essen, everybody comes around Paul's house and plays all of these new hot titles. That's been running for 20 years. Then in 2010, for my 40th, and I, don't, I know I don't look 49, but I am. For my 40th, oh, wow. I said to Vicky, I said, I'm going to do another one of these, another four-day event around my birthday. And she said, this is just going to be a one-off, isn't it? And I said, yeah, it's just a one-off event every year in July. So from, from 2010 onwards, the once-a-year event became twice a year. The November one, I had rules that you were only allowed to play games that have been released in the last three months. Whereas the summer one was anything goes. Anyway, I was looking down this list of all of these people who I would like to be there. And I was suddenly having to make decisions of which 30 people I invited. And that was really hard to do. Yeah. And a couple of people have actually said to me over the last year or so, um, you should turn this into an event, you know, actually hire a place and then you can invite loads of people. And I was like, no, I like it. The fact that it's my house, I invite people round. It's absolute chaos for three days. Um, but it was unfair on Vicky. It's her house as well. It was unfair on the cats. Um, the disturbance so to... has Gridcon replaced your personal yeah, house? Yes, things? yes. Yeah, the, the twice a year event that I now have here where 30 people come over and live here for four days, they've now gone. I now, I now will have a games day where people will come round for the day. Um, but the, the two big events that were, were a yearly thing, a, a, a biannual thing, they are now, that, that is what's, what's become Gridcon. Mm. So that, that was the main reason for it. you decided to go to Devon. Is that close to you? I live in Devon. Oh, shit. So I never yeah. realised. <laughs> where did you think I was? I mean, I, I have thought... a northern accent, so you might have thought I was still up north. Um... Yeah, I wasn't sure. Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm I in Devon. I thought you just... I thought Devon was a nice place. Well, it is. 
<laughs> no, I'm, I've, yeah, I've been in Devon for 10 years. I was in Somerset for two years. So I, I used to live in Hertfordshire, originally Lancashire, Lancashire for 27 years, uh, moved to Coventry for a year, Hertfordshire for 10 years, Somerset for two years, and I've been down here now for 10 years. So I've been 10 years in Devon. It's what the D is in Gridcon. So Gridcon is yes. gaming rules in Devon. And it's in Devon because I live in Devon. Um, yes, that's it's very good branding. I wasn't aware of that. It was in Devon. Well, we've but got to I keep just it in was Devon. Not now. aware of that. You lived in Devon. No, I do. Yeah, so I, I actually live about fifteen minutes drive away from where the venue is, uh, which is very handy when you get there and realise you've forgotten something. You just <laughs> you just drive back and and get the shelves. Um, yeah, and and this is one of the things people have said because Gridcon One was a success and we could have had more people is venues. And sure, I could go into Somerset and look for venues, but then it would be Griscon, and that doesn't work. Um, yeah. yeah, so it's 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 got to it's got to stay in Devon because of the the D. So you're still in Gridcon. probably going to um, have a limit, and so you're probably yeah. going to be selling out. Oh yeah, Gridcon two and Gridcon three have already been booked. The venue is booked for Gridcon two and three, and we've already paid for Gridcon two. Tickets have gone on sale, and we're sixty percent sold out already. And I haven't, I haven't really advertised it yet, so... So isn't that... I guess the difference there is that it's not you having to make those difficult decisions of who do I invite. No, it's, because... now, it's up to you. If you want to come, here's the tickets. Book soon to avoid disappointment. Um, yeah, so all of, the, all of those bad feelings I had about who to invite and who not to invite, they disappeared. I, so it I sounds made... like, ultimately, the reason why you started GridCon was to puts off the decision of who to invite um that's one of the reasons it, it's yeah because to be honest if if i only knew 25 people and i only wanted 25 people to come round, i would probably just have kept them at my house i wouldn't have had it was those bad feelings that i had bad feelings caused me to change things bad feelings mm. are a driver for me to go how can i resolve this situation now i i'm lucky in the way that for example, the, the event that I ran in the summer, Ting, this is not Gridcon. People came to that event. Some people came to that event, weren't really sure what to do, didn't feel comfortable in going up to strangers and asking in to join their games, and therefore spent most of their time with themselves and played games against themselves. Mm. And that's fine. If they want to do that, that's absolutely fine. But I had bad feelings. I had bad feelings on their behalf. I was like, you've paid money, you've gone to a convention, you and your partner, and you've ended up sitting there at a table playing games, just you and your partner. You may as well have stayed at home. Is so what, how did you counteract that? I counteracted that by advertising a service at Gridcon 1 called Paul's Demo Gaming Table for New People, which I need a better name for. But essentially, if you, are, if you were at Gridcon 1, and you were in that exact situation, and you turned up, you didn't really know anybody else, you didn't know what was happening, and you didn't feel comfortable joining in a game, you come and see Paul, and for the first four hours of each day, I basically gave up my time to collect all of these people together, we would then find a game that they wanted to play, I'd teach them how to play the game together, and suddenly people have got to know each other, um, and, and that was the idea. And when I advertised this, people came back to me and went, wow, that's a really good idea, you're giving up your own time, that's really selfless of you, it's a really good thing, and everything else. And I'm thinking, I've done this to avoid me having bad feelings on your behalf. <laughs> but the benefit is, yeah, people made use of it, and, and it was really good. 
Yeah, I mean, so, it yeah. does sound brilliant. And yeah, there are so many different things that can be done. I mean, let's not go into what makes a good convention. I mean, I think that we've explored sufficiently why we started the events that we started. Yeah. And um, obviously, Tabletop Gaming Live, I don't think it's for us to look into the um, bureaucratic system or, you know, managerial system of the Warner Brothers Media Group. Um, but I think that making a convention to say, hey, there's a whole bunch of people wanting to be here. If we can get enough people here and if we can get enough exhibitors here, then we can make money. I think that if I'm actually very much in favour of that, mm-hmm. because I feel like if there is space for that to happen, then it shows how much the hobby has grown. Yeah. And it would really help expand the hobby, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Because I mean, people comment that the location was terrible. Alexandra Palace is a terrible location. Speaking to somebody who travelled from Devon, I thought it was a good location, but I might be wrong on here. It's because it's not on a tube line. You have to walk for 10 minutes. I'm like, sure, you've got to walk ten for 10 minutes. 10 minutes is fine. Exactly. I mean, Londoners are just bloody lazy. Is that what it is? I thought the location was fine. I mean, it's an amazing venue. Uh, yeah, it's the prettiest venue. The only comparable thing is the bits of stained glass in Essen. Every other convention, for the most part, is either in a warehouse or in a hotel, which pretty much looks like much of a muchness. Yeah. But, you know, with the Alexandra Palace, you've got the big stained glass, you've got the pipe organ, you've got, like, plants yeah. dotted around. It looks good. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's within the M25. I think there's a lot of people who I certainly spoke to who were at Tabletop Gaming Live who were on the outskirts of the hobby. Mm. But they went along because they saw a games convention in London and they went along to it. They wouldn't have gone along to something like Dragon Meat and they wouldn't have gone to UK Games Expo. So I think in some ways, Tabletop Gaming Live, it's a pity that it wasn't more successful and I'm hoping that they do carry on and I'm hoping they I do grow. I would really like it to be... Um, I mean, the one thing I've heard that is fair, but again, this is a kind of price difficulty for them, yeah. is to keep it open for longer. Because yeah. shutting down at, what was it, five, six? Six... And then chucking everyone out. Yeah. And then yes, cakes and ladder cakes and ladders was opening their doors for people, and I'm sure they benefited, but they didn't have the capacity no. for people who just want no. to carry on playing games until maybe nine or eleven. Frankly. Yeah. Then again, Essen does the same. Essen closes at seven, and you just close. Well, they close Essen the doors. Well, Essen closes at seven, which is one hour later. But then traders are allowed to stay there. They are now. And yeah, but you have to buy an expensive ticket. It's a very expensive ticket. No, but there is a whole thing where some people actually, I think like Pegasus Spiel does yeah. the thing where you pay a bit extra and then you get to... Yeah, it, it, it's quite a bit extra. <laughs> well, I don't know how much it is because yeah. I've just got the exhibitor tickets always. So I've yeah, no, it. it's, it's, it's quite expensive. Um, but yeah, so yeah, we'll, we'll see. But, you, but you're absolutely right. The reason why they decided to host a convention... I, I think was for financial reasons. And, I, you know, that's fine. If that's why they want to do it, I've, I've no problem with that because it's us that's going to benefit. Mm. You know, it's, it's me and you that's going to benefit if, that, if it ends up being successful. Absolutely. You know, we'll pay our and, bit to I have mean, a there's table. There's a lot of talk about how the toy and the game industry are kind of moving in together yeah. because the game industry is starting to get prettier things like good table presents. Oh, yeah. And the toy industry is starting to have stuff that's actually a legitimate game that you might be playing in two years' time rather yeah. than scrapping after yeah. 
a week. It's funny, isn't it? Because, you know, 20 years ago, there was me staring at a board full of wooden little cubes and getting excited. And now we're staring at a board with, you know, you look at games like Tapestry or Blood Rage mm. or something like that. And table presence is absolutely, absolutely. you know, the, the thing. Um, because games, they look nice and therefore they are, some of them certainly, are more appealing to other people. If we look at Mega City Oceana, recent game from um, Hub Games. Yeah, building up those skyscrapers. Yeah. It looks attractive. It, it it's like, looks what's going on? I want to do this. Exactly. If you have that set up on a table, people are going to walk past and look at it with interest rather than a board, a board about German politics covered in wooden I cubes. I think that we've established that's okay. Some people have started it for money. Some people have started it because something doesn't exist, like I did. Yep. Some people have started it because it outgrew what used to be a personal thing. Yep. And um, I know Frank West for City yep. of um, Games. You know, that was because something in Bristol didn't exist. Yep. And, it was, and I believe that that's also why Pat, um, Richard, Mike and everyone started UK Games Expo yep. because I was like, this we didn't have exist. it. Yeah, we we didn't have a big UK games convention like Essen, Gen Con, and everything else. We 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 don't have one, and they started it. And, and now it's the, actually comparable. Well, it's comparable to Origins. I mean, I'm not saying it's as big as Essen. It, but it's ten percent oh, size. That yeah. is comparable to my oh, yeah. mind. It, it's very it's very comparable um, to how Origins and Gen Con work. Not so much Essen. Uh, because, as, as we mentioned earlier on, Essen closes its doors at seven and you disappear. And yeah. it's pretty much exhibit halls and nothing else. Whereas as UK Games Expo has massive open gaming areas. It has a massive games library. It has seminars. It has role-playing games. It has almost everything for the, for the, the whole cross-section. You know, it, has a, it hosted a 400-plus player X-Wing tournament one year. Hmm. Right? It's just, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that goes on at Essen. My Excel. understanding is that, yes, Essen now is a money-making thing for the Metzlers. Yeah, it's a trade I fair. heard Dominic kind of talking on a podcast. I think it might have been Five Games for Doomsday. I can't remember. But um, definitely I heard them talking about how they set it up so many years ago and, you know, invited some traders and mm -hmm. then so many more people came and they expected and then they kept doing it over and over again. Yeah. And now it just grew because back then there wasn't anything like it. Yeah. And it feels to me that um because we need to wrap this up, but if we want to have a thing that we've learned, it would be like, yeah, we people make this because they want to have something that doesn't exist. In your case, yes. In terms of my case I was fully aware that starting another board game convention was just like all of the other board game conventions. <laughs> there, there was nothing that was going... Initially, there is now, and I'll get to that in a second, but I was fully aware that I was creating another Baycon, Manacon, Stabcon, Handycon, you know, all of that. I was just doing another one. I wasn't offering anything different. I was just offering another one that fit into the same category as everything else. Now, as it turns out... Um, but you Be are the difference. I, I, yeah, I, well, there's that, but I also used my industry contacts. So this was a small 200-person board gaming convention in Devon, right? With mm. Vita Lacerda, Richard Breeze, David Turtsey, Tony Boydell, David Mortimer, Matthew Dunstan. I've probably forgotten one, right? That's some pretty big-name designers at a small 200-person convention in Devon. 
that's what made GridCon a bit different. And I've actually had quite a few comments from people who came and went, wow, I just went along to, you know, just a small board games convention in Devon and suddenly met all these people <laughs> and got to play Tony Boydell's new game and then spent time chatting with Vital Lacerda about, you know, and stuff like this. That's what GridCon can offer, which I have the position of, these people are generally clients of mine. So, you know, I've invited them there. I didn't charge them for any exhibitor tables and said, look, if you want to come along, it'll be good for me, but it'll also be good for you because you can, you know, play test your games and things like that. Mm. So that that's the one thing I think that GridCon does offer. Um, obviously, these designers are there at UK Games Expo, but at UK Games Expo, they're running their own booth. At GridCon, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a difference. When I am, as a trader at Glasgow Games Festival, for example, I'm able to talk to someone for half an hour. Yeah. At UK Games Expo, I no unless you're press, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. No, no. So at, at, at GridCon, people sat down and had a chat with them, had food and played a game with them. And, you know, it was great. The, the two guys that I actually picked up Vittel from the airport, because Vittel was flying in from Portugal. And I got a couple of friends in Bristol who effectively drive past the airport on the way to where the convention was. And they said, well, we'll pick him up on the way. And I was like, are you sure? And they were like, yeah, that's fine. So I spoke to Vittel and said, don't worry, I've got your lift from the airport sorted. You're going to get picked up. So what I did is I arranged uh, for one evening for them to play a game with Vittel. They were thrilled. They were like, not only did we pick him up from the airport, we got to play a game with him. Um, so yeah, that, that was quite cool. We do need to wrap up. And if people want to find you on the internet? Yes, Gaming Rules. Um, so the, the YouTube channel is Gaming Rules Videos. The Twitter channel is Gaming Rules Vids, because videos was too too long for, for Twitter. Uh, and Facebook is Gaming Rules as well. Um, yeah, Gaming and Rules everything. I'm Stuff by Bez, at Stuff by Bez, if you want to search for me. And I think we've talked about so much. We've talked about, um, you know, not overworking yourself. We've talked about um, making a convention for different reasons. We've yeah. talked about how, you know, different reasons are okay for different situations. We talked about butter. We talked about... Um, the Brandage Craft Fair. Yeah. <laughs> and we talked about working behind a bar and we talked about conventions a bit We more. did, yeah. And it was a good chat. It was lovely to have you on. But for now... Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you again to Paul Grogan for speaking to me, Richard Simpson for getting this to you, and of course Ian Bolton, who back in the day was running this internet radio show and sorting out a lot of the technical, uploading stuff so that I didn't have to. Now, I no longer do an internet radio audio show, but if you would like to hear from me, you can hear me every day live at 10am UK time on twitch.tv slash softwarebez. You can also find me on facebook.com slash thingsbybez, twitter.com slash stuffbybez, YouTube, I don't have a vanity URL yet, stuffbybez.com, or you can email me on stuffbybez at gmail.com. And I hope you've enjoyed this show. Thank you for listening. And again, bye-bye.